Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alright, the second World Cup day of 2022 was headlined by Southgate being the one as England were pretty much robbed of a biggest World Cup win in their history, smashing Iran for six. And we also, let's not forget, we had the start of the tournament for the likes of the Netherlands, Senegal, USA and Wales. We've got it all as well as previews for Group C and D on today's show. Let us get stuck absolutely straight in. And before we do get into the successful England performance in the opening game of yesterday's football, we've got to remind you that, yes, alongside this podcast, the World Cup Daily, which is available on the Sports Social Podcast Network, anywhere where you get your podcasts, really, as well as YouTube every 5am. We've got other stuff as well going on during this World Cup. We've got the World Cup Great Games podcast of illustrious games gone by over on our Patreon at 6am every single day throughout the tournament. We have got What If videos, alternate football histories on YouTube every 9am as well. And in between, we've got the continuation of international challenges on Football Manager 2023. And we've got a couple of combined 11s chucked in and predictors as well on YouTube shorts. So without further ado, let's take a look at England 6. <laughs> England 6, Iran 2. And it was a game played at the uh, Khalifa International Stadium full of context, really on both sides, more so for off-the-field um, happenings rather than on the pitch. Of course, over here, Western media, it was dominated in the early, um, early stages of the, the morning by the debate around the One Love armband. And unfortunately, 
several of the FAs that were going to take part in this campaign have been forced essentially to back down, strong-armed by FIFA, stating that their captains would be booked, start the game off with a booking. And there are two obvious um, sides to this. You can understand why teams will back down. For example, if, if Harry Kane went about it, one love armband on yellow card in this game, yellow card in the next game, he misses the third game. So from a sporting standpoint, you can understand why he's done it. You can also understand the spineless argument that it's supposed to be a campaign that you're passionate about, but at the mere suggestion of a yellow card, you'll back down. Now, of course, here I'm not going to settle anything with the correct answer here, but um, those are the two arguments, really for and against the, um, well, essentially continuing to to show the armband and FIFA, as always, tended to uh, reach back into their their um, bag of tricks and brought forward the quote-unquote no discrimination armbands that they were only going to have for the quarterfinals because, after all, teams only get, players only get discriminated against after the quarterfinals. Ridiculous. Anyway, so from the other side of things and the backdrop of what is going on in Iranian football, we mentioned in the preview that necessarily they might not be as much passion from the Iranian fans back home. Um, obviously, there's the somewhat of a revolution. They have an anti-government protest. There were some question marks whether or not the Iranian players will sing the the national anthem which is ostensibly pro government the uh, the um the net, the anthem there and as it turns out none of the players sung you see jubilation in the crowd by some of the uh, the females in attendance one woman crying it was a, a, an incredibly emotional powerful scene um at first you couldn't i couldn't really tell whether or not they were whistling the players or the anthem but by the end once you've uh, figured it all out it was fairly obvious they were uh, booing whistling going against the anthem as opposed to the players the players have full backing going into the game it was um it was viewed upon that if they did sing it they would be essentially just uh fickle footballers going for the government and um, not for the people and of course the Iranian players should their side of things there has been some split um, politically um, has been reported on within the camp so too with the Brazilian camp which I'm sure we'll talk about as the uh, World Cup goes on but with all that out of the way we could play some football and much to the delight of Southgate outers all up and down the country, a back four returned for England, and I'm not really sure there was any doubt that it wouldn't. There's no real surprises. I put my 11 um, on Twitter about an hour be an hour before the teams were announced, and I think I got Saka wrong and Foden um, on the on the pitch rather than on the bench. Now, but I did say that Foden Saka is really close, and essentially that's what it boiled down to here. The first 35 minutes went exactly the way I predicted in yesterday's show. The rest of it, not so much, not so much. As I said, it was going to be tight. It was going to be nervy. The first goal, absolutely crucial. England controlled it, the high possession. They've got, for some reason, the um, there is a third metric in the possession. It's either team A, team B, or in contest. Uh, either way, it was around 75% possession for England um, in the first half, certainly um, by their metrics, by FIFA's metrics. And uh, 
Really, it was. Uh, it took a while for the bright football to get going, as is often the case at World Cups against what was a desperately negative Iran side, I thought. Um, England, though, they did have chances before the goal. The keeper, brilliant. Well, the first goalkeeper took it brilliantly off Sterling's head. That kind of got lost in the old, uh, the concussion Ferrari, which, let's be honest, um, I think England dealt with it a lot better than uh, how Iran dealt with it. But then again, England were 4-1 up when Harry Maguire got taken off with concussion or suspected concussion. So it, it came from a, a much easier standpoint from uh, Maguire in England there. But in no reason whatsoever could that goalkeeper have um, remained on the pitch. It was uh, quite ridiculous, really. The goalkeeper, the uh, stand-in, didn't get a touch of the ball until the 28th minute. Um, but finally, we got uh, some good moves going around for England, mainly on the wings, which, to be fair, Iran were nice, compact, narrow. First 35 minutes, in terms of an Iranian standpoint, it's absolutely perfect. They didn't go with both Sadar Azmoun and uh, Karim Taremi. They went for a back five as well. They didn't go back four. They went back five and a low block, as you'd expect, of course. But it all started to slightly unravel. Mason Mount had a, a decent shot. Harry Maguire headed in from a set-piece just against the bar. And really, the uh, the set-pieces for England absolutely terrified the opposition. Absolutely terrified the opposition. Maguire easily should have had a penalty um, for what was ostensibly a rugby tackle. Let's be fair, it was a rugby tackle. It wasn't, on, wasn't necessarily on the ball. It may or may not have got on the end of it. But we saw in the previous World Cup, England got three penalties that way. Two against Panama, one against Colombia. And this should have been a penalty. When you get to the end of the game, the 113th minute or something daft or whatever the hell it was, <laughs> it was 34 minutes of additional time in this game. So they've, England have essentially gone to extra time here. Uh, but that was nowhere in a different league. <laughs> it probably was a penalty by the laws. It's shirt tug, yes. But if they're going to give that, you've got to give the Harry Maguire one. It was uh, quite incredible, really. But then England rose to the occasion. Jude Bellingham, uh, wow, uh, completely peerless performance. The in-game, the, the man of the match was given to Bukayo Saka. Now, Saka, an incredible game as well. I think England's second best player alongside Raheem Sterling as well. Um, and Rice, I thought, was went about things quite quietly and well. Trippier too, to be fair, he wasn't a bad player in and amongst it for England. When, well, that's what <laughs> comes with the territory when you score six, I suppose. But Jude Bellingham, I mean, did you know he's 19? They don't, <laughs> do not let you forget it. But that is because everybody is in absolute awe of him. Now, if there was a, an argument for maybe Jordan Henderson or Calvin Phillips coming back in for the long term, it was quashed instantly, instantly with his performance. Jude Bellingham played with all the composure that we wanted from the golden generation that we've seen in players gone by of, and not to stoke him up, beyond his means, but likes of Brian Robson, Bobby Charlton, he was that on um, on Monday. The header was magnificent, not to snatch at it and completely bullet it in, but to just stand it up, glance it into the far corner. And just his box-to-box -box work, his, his passing where it could, it could easily go side to side to Stones, Maguire, to Rice. He would always look for the wings. And that, to me, yes, the goal was brilliant, a brilliant positioning movement for the goal, but... The best part about the game, from England's perspective, from Bellingham's perspective, was his propensity to not go for the man next to you, but to go for a much more difficult pass, a much more rewarding pass. He did that time and time and time again. 
the uh, more unsung part of his game, of his work here in this game. And that's why England was so, so comfortable. He essentially got a pre-assist for the uh, for the third goal as well. And in and amongst, of course, Saka's beautiful finish for the second goal. Just superlatives all around in that first half. It was the most perfect game of football, the most perfect half of football from England's point of view that you could have ever wished to have um, imagined. Now, there is the other side of that coin. You go and say, it's only Iran. Well, it is 20th in the world, one behind Wales. Yes, that may be slightly inflated by qualification. You'd probably put them maybe 30th, but they have a way of playing. They stick to it. They haven't lost the past two World Cup openers. I might add, they beat Morocco 1-0 last time round. They drew with Nigeria the time before that in Brazil. And um, let's be fair, they're a well-oiled, well-drilled machine. And Carlos Quiraz, who was at both of those World Cups, is at that World Cup, this World Cup as well. He is a familiar face. They know exactly how they're going to play. They played exactly how they usually play. But in the end, it wasn't more, it wasn't really their own lack of quality in uh, defence. It was just England broke them down. And that first goal was absolutely pivotal. And rightly so, England just marched on, marched through. The set pieces continued to trouble Iran. And by goal three, I mean, the game has well and truly opened up. I thought the fourth goal, um, the defence probably didn't cover themselves in a whole lot of glory, but Bakayo Saka made it look that way. Good build-up for the goal as well. England looked very good on the counter-press, on the transition as well. And um, it only, they only seemed to get stronger as the match goes on. Now, obviously, you then look at the, the, the last two goals. You've got Rashford scoring the fifth. You've got Callum Wilson setting up Jack Grealish for the sixth. That is the benefit for England in terms of bringing five substitutions on. Could have brought on six with that uh, concussion substitute as well. Let's not forget. But whilst England were incredibly good at attacking, second biggest results for England at a World Cup behind Panama after that 6-1 should have really been 6-1 this game, let's be fair, or really 7-2 if you're going to call both penalties. Uh, defensively, they're probably not quite up to speed just yet, maybe against a uh, stronger opponent that have been found out a bit more. Um, but I think it comes with the territory of... The, the opponents they were playing, they didn't have a right lot to do to be switched on about. And um, that uh, will likely develop England, I think, defensively a strong, a lot stronger in a, um, in a back three, back five, which will be deployed against um, in, in bigger games, more difficult games than this one. Um, in terms of Iran, well, really the, the, the second, third goals... It killed them, really. Um, I felt they were going about things quite well. They kept things nice and compact. They were slowing England right down um, in the first half an hour. But set pieces, it, it, it proved time and time again for England that um, they had their number. And unfortunately, Iran couldn't cope with that. And that was essentially by the end of the first half. That was game over. Um, Taremi showed a wee bit of his quality with that first goal that he scored, just a lovely touch and then thrashing it into the underside of the crossbar. Um, I'm sure people will love to jump on Harry Maguire for letting him go, but considering that he had to come off shortly afterwards, it's likely that he was suffering before that goal was scored. So maybe a little bit of leeway is allowed there. And of course, Iran scored the penalty in the last minute. 103rd minute, I got it incorrect early. 103rd minute. 
Uh, it, quite ridiculous, really. Yes, there was a lot of injuries. There was a lot of niggly play, mainly from the Iranians, got to say. A couple of injuries, a whole host of substitutes as well, but 34 minutes. I'm not entirely uh, convinced by that one, but if we are going to uh, go the whole hog and add time on for stoppages, for the needless bit of stoppages that continue to get played in every single game, then why not? Why not? It just took me aback slightly, ever so slightly. And uh, before we move on to uh, the following game that took place earlier on, Netherlands-Senegal, just a wee statistic for you. Iran conceded four goals in qualification. They scored, well, conceded six in just one game. So there we have it. We'll do things chronologically, and after this short break, we'll take a look at Netherlands versus Senegal. See they in a minute. Welcome back. And our second game of the second day of 2022 FIFA World Cup was between the Netherlands and Senegal, a match which was much anticipated, supposed to be the match between the two big hitters in Group A, probably you'd expect to be the entertaining match of the three games. And to be fair, it fell in most of the parts, really. It fell a little flat. Memphis didn't quite make the match, still carrying that hamstring niggle, so um, former Tottenham Hotspur legend Vincent Janssen took his place up front in uh, what was the expected formation, the 3-4-1-2 with Cody Gakpo in behind. There were some surprises from Van Gaal in the Netherlands, though. You have Mathis De Litt at right centre-half, preferred over Urien Timber, and you had Nopper making his... Dutch international debut in in net, while Senegal very much an, an expected eleven without their talisman, of course, in uh, in Sadio Mane. And yes, it wasn't the most perfect performance, but in in the goals, in the scoreline, Netherlands have essentially joint top position in the group in points, of course, and in goals scored, goals conceded, goal difference, etc. So. As um, as nights go, pretty perfect from the Dutch in terms of uh, scoreline point of view. Far from it in terms of performance. In uh, in my in my opinion, they did start okay. I mean, they were they were good going forward in fits and starts in the first half. Second half, they showed absolutely nothing until the goal. Um, where I would have my uh, worries for the Netherlands would be going backwards, which is not something you'd usually level at Louis van Gaal, but uh, there we are. I felt um, the two Bergs, Berghaus and Bergvine, were the Netherlands' best players. Denzel Dumfries did some good work down the right as well, um, but the Dutch in the first half were were very wasteful. They weren't wasteful in the second, merely because they didn't have a chance. They had three shots on target, and all three were involved in the two goals um, that we had later on in the game. They were very, very twitchy in defence, and um, although they did gain more control in the second half, and uh, Nopper didn't really get tested until the 65th minute with a bull idea half chance, he did have to stretch after moments after the Dutch con, uh, scored their goal, their first goal, um, to get on the uh, end to push a, a, a chance away from a corner, which was as close as Senegal went, really. Um, the Dutch, largely unimaginative. And um, although Dumfries was taking up good positions, as you'd expect, almost as a right winger, right wing back, um, there wasn't really enough 
dialogue between the midfield and the uh, front line, in my opinion. And really, the Dutch should have had this home and host. Frankie de Jong had a glorious opportunity in the first half. Took one too many touches. I feel as though he could have taken it first time, maybe even second. But his, with his first touch, it was uh, very much out of reach. And they had zero shots on target until the goal came in the uh, 86th minute. Um, really going forward, you uh, would probably say it's a win, it's a clean sheet, so therefore all the hallmarks of a good start are actually there. The performance needs a bit of work on, but I feel as though this is a World Cup that these kind of performances early on are going to be like this. The group stages by no means um, settles anything in terms of who's going to win it, who are the favourites, in my opinion. Um, and it wasn't a great performance. They'll probably have to change personnel around a few times. Yuri and Timber maybe may have to start taking Coop Miners too, maybe Davy Clarson as well. Obviously, you'd like to think Memphis Dubai comes on um, as we go through the tournament as he gains match fitness. Um, although the World Cup, he has been out for a long, long time in terms of hamstring injury as well. So maybe the World Cup has come too soon, although he did, in a way, set up the second goal um, with the Dutch's second shot on target, curling it into the far corner, and um, Edouard Mendy could only parry for uh, David Klaassen, of course. Now, with this win, even with a draw, this would have been grouped well within their reach because two wins in this group will be enough for the Dutch to uh, top the group. I'm fairly certain of that, unless, obviously, there's a loss to come against Ecuador on uh, on. Friday, but it, it doesn't really um, appear that way. I think they'll still be quite strong. Um, in terms of the performance, it did remind me of an old-school England performance in uh, the probably not good enough to win the tournament, but let's see. Let's see. Um, there'll still be optimism. It's a positive result to start on, and um, they just needed one bit of quality in this game because although Senegal, they were determined, they were somewhat aggressive going forward and um, did cause problems. They didn't nearly provide enough of a threat on the Dutch goal. Um, they just needed, the Netherlands just needed that one bit of quality and that was one, a fantastic cross from Frankie de Jong. I felt he was much better in the midfield areas when than when he ventured forward in the first half. And then the other bit of quality, Cody Gakpo's incredible run. Uh, he just springs the offside trap and does so by quite a distance as well. Um, great header when he thinks he's going to get absolutely smashed by Edouard Mendy. And really, both the first goal and the second goal, you've probably got to ask questions of Edouard Mendy. The, the second one especially, he should be able to keep hold of that to uh, the Memphis Depay shot. And if not, he could push it a better way, not directly into the path of David Clarsen. And fair play to Clarsen, who in the 99th minute, another match where we saw an incredible amount of stoppage time, he keeps going, puts the ball away. And from what could have been a, a an uninspirational start is a clean sheet, a 2-0 win, and the Dutch are at the races and will all but surely now with Qatar still to come, um, qualify emphatically, really. Um, you would expect anyway. In terms of Senegal, it's quite easy to say that they did miss Sadio Mane. They probably did. Um, but even with him, I feel as though they would have uh, they would have struggled. Ismail Assar, who was um, on the left in his position, I think he gave Mathis Dillett an absolutely torrid time of it 
really. The game was, it was quite an open start. Most of Senegal's play came down the left-hand side, or so it seemed. Um, and although the Dutch, you do expect them to sit back, control possession, a bit like what England had done earlier on in the day. But I feel as though they were a bit more hot under the collar than what they would have hoped, particularly in the first 15. Even though it was goalless up until the 86th minute, I felt as though... The game was quite enjoyable up to half time. The second half did kind of tail off a little bit. And it, that has been a facet of at least the first three games that we've seen um, in this tournament so far. And of course, it picked back up in the England game, but not so much in Qatar and Ecuador. And as you see, we'll be getting a lot of that energy conservation uh, here in this in this tournament, really. But by all reports, it seems to be fairly mild, especially with the... Um, with the air conditioning systems that are in place in Qatar, it's likely because it's a quick turnaround, especially in that first game. First group games in World Cups, Euros are always a bit tetchy, a bit twitchy. We'll see the best of this World Cup as we uh, get into the second, third match days, I'm sure of that. Although it is quicker turnarounds in the group stages than uh, than in most tournaments, it could help. It could help things, could help bleed things together. Um, Senegal defensively up until the goal, You've got to say that they weren't really tested and they were on for their first World Cup clean sheet since the, their very first World Cup game, the opener against France, which we all know and love so much. Fortunately, that didn't happen. But even regardless of the uh, of the 2-0 the defeat, you've got to feel as though there'll be a threat to lesser teams in this group. You'd expect them to be... Uh, well, you'd expect them to be fighting alongside Ecuador for that second spot still, even without this um, this three points. But uh, the next match gives them a lot of room for, for manoeuvre, really, because it is Qatar. And that really is make or break now, isn't it? You do need at least a point. You would expect a win from Senegal, having watched all four teams in Group A now. You would expect them to uh, come out fighting, get a win, maybe. And um, then all you need is uh, to topple Ecuador, which uh, now, even now, we were one match day down. You, uh, it's very obvious that Senegal versus Ecuador in match day three is the game in this group, much like Group C and Group G with Mexico versus Poland, with Serbia versus Switzerland, that is the game. And it always probably was going to be the game, unless the Netherlands, this is their high point, I I, I doubt it, to be fair. They are on paper playing their hardest opponent in this game here, and it's come out with three points, albeit without the performance that they would have liked. It's no 5-1 against Spain, is it? But perhaps a slow burner, maybe um, the Van Hal sideshow of 2014. They did kind of peak too early, and uh, maybe a, a more slow burner of a campaign and easing into things and hitting their peak at the right point, which would be the knockout phase, easing Memphis into things. Maybe, maybe we could have some positivity for the Dutch. But after this short break, we're going to tackle our third and final match of day two in the World Cup. And it was the long-awaited return of Wales after 64 years away from the World Cup. Catch you in a minute. And finally, we had America versus Wales in the final game of tonight, the second day of 2022 World Cup action. And finally, after four goes, we got our very first draw, which does help England somewhat. But let's leave those England biases at the door and essentially just 
talk about both Wales and America. In terms of the game, 1-1 it finished, one goal for America in the first half, one goal for Wales right towards the end of the contest, and that truly encapsulated the entire game, really a game, as stereotypical as it sounds, a game of two halves, made mainly thanks to the manager and the tactical shift in while sticking with what was, in my opinion, a quite surprised to go 3-5-2 and maybe not 3-4-3, three, three, um, probably to match America's extremely wide midfield three. And as they played, it, it was ostensibly a 3-4-3 three, three, what America built up in anyway. Such was Anthony Robinson's veracity in going forward. You've got a an incredibly... Uh, energetic midfield three, Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa, who um, by the end, I think uh, their international tournament experience, unfortunately, uh, told towards the end as the, uh, to be fair, the team in, in total was flagging, hence the nine added minutes, which has become quite an obvious feature in this World Cup from today's action some 50 minutes or something added on in the across the three games. It feels like most of them the England game, but uh, it was a, quite an entertaining game of football, to be fair, and, and interesting tactically too. Um, as I mentioned, Wales lined up with a 3-5-2, Gareth Bale and Daniel James in the first half. Now that switched to uh, Kiefer Moore in the second half, and that's really where Wales started to tell that pressure. In a different profile centre-forward in Kiefer Moore, Wales were able to hold the ball up, get into channels, bring other players into uh, possession. And really the 3-5-2 was born in the second half as opposed to the 5-3-2. And it's about to do, mainly to do with Rob Page's tactical shift and identifying the, the need for a different profile striker alongside the likes of uh, Gareth Bale and the, and the knock-ons for Aaron Ramsey and Harry Wilson who were continuously bombing forward, of course. And it helped introduce... Connor Roberts to the game a bit more. Neko Williams continued to go up and down that left-hand side as well. And uh, really, partly, some partly to do with um, the Americans pretty much wilting towards the second half. And that is something that we will see from the uh, the more inexperienced sides now. Of course, quite a lot of them have Champions League experience. This is an entirely different beast, as we know. This is the World Cups. Now, Timothy Weyer, fantastic to see him score. Son of George, obviously, as I'm sure you've had rammed down your throats, but an incredibly looking, simple looking goal, but one with a perfectly weighted ball by Christian Pulisic. We've seen a lot of final third moves break down because the, the passes weren't uh, completely on point at this World Cup. It, the pass was perfect. The finish, just to take it in his stride and dink it with a right foot instead of snatching it with his left foot again entirely comfortable and it really summed up the first half for America. They were incredibly wide and when they needed to, Timothy Way, he was playing off the right. Some maybe were thinking play him centrally, but that was Josh, Josh Sargent's role um, in this game, which came as a bit of a surprise to me. I would have thought maybe Timothy Way start through the middle, Brendan Aronson started out wide, but uh, Aronson came off the bench and was... Really, he came on at a time where America were largely ineffectual and unfortunately wasn't able to uh, put his stamp on the game, unfortunately. Um, in terms of the, the draw, you've got to say it was well-deserved. America won the first half quite emphatically and Wales won the second half similarly emphatically. Every single 
part of action was towards the right-hand side if you were watching it on uh, on television. Um, in terms of America's midfield three, incredibly, incredibly energetic. Yunus Musa and Weston McKenney would... They would start off incredibly wide. They'd drop in for their um, attacking fullbacks or rather wingbacks as they were really. So the, the shape from America was quite good really in, in all facets, particularly in the midfield. They stretched that, um, they stretched the uh, the Wales midfield, the defence as well. They pretty much essentially left Tyler Adams in the middle of the pitch. Everything was going around in almost like a horseshoe. I mean, you've seen Mikel Arteta's Arsenal do something similar. They've changed that up a little bit quite recently. Um, but this, that's what they used to do, almost playing a, a horseshoe, sort of an, a, an elongated, um, an oval-type uh, formation, really, uh, with the with the man up top and the two in uh, centre-half. And it, it really worked towards the, uh, in the in the first half. But as soon as Rob Page tackled... Tackled the uh, the tactics board and Kiefer Moore was brought on. It really uh, it suckered America closer and closer together. And really, it's um, probably more a facet of USA trying to hold out for the lead. And of course, America at their first World Cup in eight years, naturally um, slightly uh, tentative and um, excited about it all. Similarly, Wales sixty four years they'd had to wait. And um, as the second half wore on, incredible chances after chances. Ben Davis with a good header. Um, Neko Williams was he was shown quite a bit throughout. He, he was one probably the only Welsh player in the first half that I thought brought something a little bit different. Um, whereas the rest of them were fairly static, unable to get get um, things started. Now they naturally dropped deep a little bit, but uh, they've been penned in in the first half. And Neko Williams was one of the only ones to. Sort of brick between the lines in the first half. Now, second half, they were pressing a bit more. You see them pressing from the goal kicks a lot more. And um, you see the likes of Kiefer Moore creating chances as well. He's glancing header from a corner so close to going in. And it uh, looked as though it was in, to be fair, where the camera was set up. But pressure finally told Gareth Bale. <laughs> it had to be Gareth Bale, didn't it? From the spot, to be fair, Matt Turner in the American goal incredibly unfortunate he gets a big mitt to it but he can't push it out into uh, safety and it goes in and really the draw probably on on reflection the fair result Gareth Bale almost had an iconic World Cup goal to his name he was shaping up to shoot from halfway when um, the goalkeeper found himself in no man's land in the 100th minute but alas it wasn't to be and really it would have been a, a, a great way to end the game. 100th minute, it would have been very Hollywood of Gareth Bale, really, and uh, pertinent, really, to where he uh, plies his trade currently for his club. But 1-1, correct result. Both teams now go forward, and Friday is Groundhog Day, I suppose, in terms of America more so than Wales. Wales will have seen, or they will see, England versus Iran's uh, in um, great detail, Wales have Iran first, then America. So for Wales, it's a good time to get some goals on the board. You'd hope, having uh, watched England's demolition job of earlier. And um, it could go the other way, though, where if everything goes to plan and it's England win three games, or I say to plan, to form, let's say that. England win three, Wales get the win and the draw and the loss, so two to America. Then they've got the chance to uh, look at things from a goal difference perspective when they get to Iran. Although we, of course, we've only seen each other play each other once. 
we don't really know if Aran are going to be that poor for the other two games. We don't know if America will be as up for the next two games. You'd, you'd expect so with the next one coming up against England, but all up in the air at the minute. But it's going to be an incredibly tight group and you would have thought now going forward with um, England versus USA, a win would essentially put England through, well, it'd guarantee them through. And uh, depending on what happens with Wales and Iran, which gets played at 10 a.m. earlier on that day, it could be a win to take them top and put, well, it'd, it'd keep them top and guarantee them top if there's a, a Wales draw um, with Iran earlier on in the day, which I don't think is out of the realm altogether. It is a, a quite a close group. Um, England will face a completely different proposition, so too Wales and um, America. They'll have to break Iran down. We'll see, um, obviously, be incredibly uh, entertaining to watch tactically that, that game because they'll have to be on their toes defensively in order to uh, stop uh, Mediterranean because, um, as we've seen earlier, he was um, quite the marksman. But Group B, just like a few other groups we're about to see, um, shape it up to be incredibly tough, incredibly tight, will go down to the wire almost every single spot, I would imagine. And I fancy Wales to take some points off England, or have a one. Um, so we could see a little bit too of throwing in that uh, final game. But after this short break, we will take a look at Group C and D and all the action that is ahead on day three. So after one of the big favourites, or rather two if you count England and the Netherlands, we've got two big boys to come here again in today's action. First from Group C when Argentina meets Saudi Arabia and then from Group D when France start their 2022 World Cup edition just as they did in 2018 with a match against Australia this time, of course. As hold as it is the, the first look we'll get at Lionel Messi and you would expect, given um, the showing from England 6-2 and uh, Iran was supposed to be the uh, preeminent team coming out of uh, Asian qualifying, maybe alongside Japan, that Saudi Arabia, a bit weaker, a lot weaker than Iran. Argentina, in some circles, viewed as stronger, more, well, better contenders than England. This should be along the same lines as Saudi Arabia's opening to the 2002 World Cup, which involved a hat-trick from a star player, Miroslav Klose, not Lionel Messi, and an 8-0 drubbing, which, given the previous... Day's action, well, it's not beyond the realm of possibility, is it really? You'd probably likely to see something more along the lines of Saudi Arabia's opener from four years ago when they were demolished 5-0 by Russia, and 5-0 is probably the one I've got my eye on. I've, uh, I've stuck some of my hard-earned cash on Lautaro Martinez getting that golden boot mainly because of the uh, level of opposition he's bound to face here and potentially the opposition he's going to face in the last 16 two, which um, we could be uh, could be swimming in the money by the end of tomorrow. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Um, but mainly, really, obviously Argentina, the headline act from Group C, but... But the biggest game, the most important game for Group C, all six fixtures gets played tomorrow, is Mexico versus Poland at 4pm. And in terms of the impact on this group, whoever wins that really, really will um, will 
rubber stamp their second place. You'd expect, you'd expect, barring any, barring any Argentina collapse, we we do have quite the inkling that they'll beat Saudi Arabia. And uh, really, you've got to believe that both Mexico and Poland will beat Saudi Arabia. The only really thing going for the Saudis, obviously the close proximity, the amount of fans that they'll take, we saw... Really, though, the Iranians, they weren't enough to fill out the Khalifa International Stadium. Of course, England weren't expected to fill that stadium out either, but um, Iran in their close proximity, perhaps things um, closer to home take precedent on this occasion. Saudi Arabia, though, neighbours, they will roll in and bring thousands upon thousands. Probably the more the most supported team at this tournament, maybe even more than Qatar, is... Um, my sort of uh, left field shout, really, considering what we saw in the opening night. Um, but because Argentina is so strong, Saudi Arabia is so weak, and Mexico really, I don't think they're at that level to hit um, Argentina for a shock like they did with Germany um, last time. There isn't a whole lot of good vibes going around Tata Martino and his crew heading into this World Cup, but I still think, still think they've got a little bit of the edge on Poland. Now... A smart man would bet on a draw, um, but barring a draw, this should all this this group should be resolved by by uh, tonight, really. And um, in terms of Group D, Denmark versus Tunisia, France versus Australia. Now, if France starts slowly against Australia, as they did in 2018, it shouldn't harm them too much. It was a 2-1 win, gleaned fairly late on from a uh, from an own goal, you may remember, and uh, could be a good omen coming into this World Cup. Now, we all know France's propensity for an implosion. We've spoken about it on plenty of occasions. 2002 to 2010 really encapsulates France going from a goalless defence of their trophy. I don't think we're going to see by any means that that this time round and then go to a, a Zidane-led final in 2006 and then back to a a more depressing group stage exit in 2010. That is France, the stereotypical France that we see boiled down, chucking a group stage curse along the way and France aren't, in my opinion, in my view anyway, I don't think they're as much a front runner. But I think a shining light for them is that forced transition of Pogba and Kante being injured and the likes of Chumene, Kamavinga coming in, maybe for Fana as well. But there is an injury where I'm not so sure it's a it could be a blessing in disguise type of thing. Karim Benzema has been ruled out. He's torn his quadricep. Now, they're usually three weeks out for that, so you're looking at... Even if France get to the final, he's not going to be fully fit. Will he be risked? Would it maybe? But Karim Benzema being out, it's not a it's not a good thing because obviously that's that really goes without saying. He's a Ballon d'Or winner, one of the best strikers in world football, one of the best strikers, goal scorers in the past twenty years, if we're being fair. Um, but because of his fairly recent return to the squad, he's a, quite a new cog in the wheel. They're going to have to shuffle the deck now in what will. Likely be a 4-3-1-2 formation with Kamavinga, Chouameni, maybe Adrian Rabiot. And we uh, we do see normally Mbappe, Griezmann and uh, Benzema. You'd probably think that France will have to revert to more of a 2018 style uh, with Olivier Giroud. Maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing. Um, I, I, I would probably lean more so on the bad thing. We all know how well France did when they, re when they changed from an out-and-out 4-3-3, out which did struggle against Australia in 2018, and then into the 4-3-1-2, which really powered them through to win that World Cup when 
Olivier Giroud essentially did his best. Stefan Guivach impression of uh, being a good target man, not scoring any goals, but essentially it doesn't matter if your uh, if your if your front nine, if your number nine doesn't score the goal, and you win the tournament. I'd take that any day of the week from Harry Kane this time round. Zero goals for Kane, but we win the World Cup easy, easy. And in terms of Denmark. I don't think they're dark horses anymore. I think they're genuine contenders. Probably the 11th team you'd expect to maybe mount a challenge for this World Cup alongside the ones I've done uh, what-if videos on. Um, if you are more in tune with the channel, you know what I'm talking about and who I'm talking about with that one, really. And um, in terms of Denmark, we know how they started the European Championships last time um, and bounced back and have that character. Now, of course, they've got their, their main man back. They have the... The edge on France in terms of recent fixtures. Uh, but first, they've got an easing in process. They'll hope their fixture, their opener with Tunisia, will go a lot better than England's did um, four years ago. Um, I think Denmark are really the whitest of dark horses. They're incredibly flexible tactically. They can go at a moment's notice from a 4-3-3 from a to a 3-4-3. And really... They are probably a tournament team. I'm going to continue to bang the drum for them to win the group until they meet France. I think they've got the necessary control to go quite deep into this tournament. Quarterfinals, semifinals, I see no shock in that. Same with, I play some in a similar category to Uruguay, really. They've got they've got the team, they've got the nous. I think they've got enough to get really to the latter stages when most people are talking about Argentina, Brazil, France, Spain, Germany, England, whatever. Really, Denmark, Uruguay, I tip them to be your dark horses. And that's all we've got time for on today's show. We'll be back with those aforementioned four matches tomorrow. Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Poland, Denmark, Tunisia and France, Australia. Thank you very much for listening to today's show. And until tomorrow, Sivy, up the three lions. Podcast Network.